0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: 1 Peter, chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever, amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ.
0: Cynthia, thank you very much indeed. Well, now, if you are thinking of going to this uh, ministry trainee event, as if to prove that height is no obstacle in ministry, here I am. And uh, you are very welcome. Good to see you. Uh, Do keep your Bibles open to that reading uh, that Cynthia just read for us, the last uh, of our series, looking through 1 Peter. We started way back uh, in the beginning of September, and here we are um, at uh, the end of November, and we come to the end of this book, which I think we've all uh, enjoyed hugely in our small groups and the other thing you might like to do is to grab hold of um, this little uh, handout uh, to see where we're going in the next few moments. And uh, if you like taking notes, uh, then uh, that will be helpful. But if not, you'll be at least be able to see where we are. Now, let me tell you about four people. I've changed their names and their circumstances, uh, but over the years, I, I've met them all. Ruth called herself a Christian, but her, her lifestyle wasn't really distinctively christian at all uh, she went to church but morally um, ethically socially there was uh, little that made her stand out as a follower of Jesus Christ as we met for coffee she explained to me when I was at uni I tried to live a consistent Christian lifestyle but I got such a hard time for it I found it easier just to blend in with everyone else around me and that's now how I live my life by contrast andrew was full-on in his christian commitment in so many ways i loved what he was about but he was an angry young man someone once said of him i love what you stand for but i don't like the way you go about it andrew stood up for christ but over the years it had cost him and so he was angry with the world billy on the other hand was a gentleman, a nice bloke Uh, completely committed to christ and his people he he went to everything the church put on never missed on a sunday or small group or the prayer meeting he was on the gardening rota you name it he was involved in it except for the evangelistic events he admitted to me that he had no unbelieving friends and never invited anyone to anything and i asked him why and he said well i used to invite all my colleagues to everything but then at work i was told that i had to stop talking about jesus or i'd lose my job marion had lost her job because she'd stood up for christ i met her at a dinner party she didn't even go to church any longer she told me that uh, she felt god had let her down you see she'd suffered just because she did the right thing and that didn't seem fair to her ruth andrew billy and marion all suffered because they were christian But now they didn't live a rounded Christian life any longer. Now, Peter, the apostle, has written to keep us faithfully going for it, Christianly. Look at chapter 5, verse 12, as the letter is rounded off for us. With the help of Silas, writes Peter, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it that's why peter has written his letter so that christians stand fast so that we keep going in the christian life despite suffering for it now the author and preacher Vaughan roberts talks about three dangers we face as we live in a world that rejects us i put them on the handout here the first he calls inculturation where we get immersed and, and sucked into the culture That is a huge danger for us when we're living in a world that doesn't like us and when we start to get a hard time for living as a Christian. I don't like to be snubbed and rejected. I like to be liked. I like to have a a quiet life, a a comfortable life. So if I keep getting a hard time for being a Christian, it will be very tempting for me not to give up being a Christian. No, I'm convinced it's true, but, but I'll be very tempted to be enculturated, to be like the culture around me, not to be distinctive. How many times I've sat with unbelieving friends and not said anything distinctively Christian when I've had the opportunity because I don't want the hassle. It is a constant temptation to blend in. But through this letter, we've heard the call to be holy, to be distinctive in our Christian life, to abstain from sinful desires, to be different from the world around us. Peter says, don't just blend in with the society you live in. It's very tempting to be like that when we get a hard time for being christian that's how ruth lived morally ethically 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 socially she was like everyone else enculturation is one danger a second is to be infuriated with the world to become angry and aggressive to find fault with everything in society to be constantly fighting against the world to be infuriated with the world around us andrew was like that He suffered as a Christian, and so he fought back against the world that had made him suffer. But that's no good. That's not the kind of life that will stand out as attractive in this world. It's not the kind of life Jesus lived. See, at the end of chapter 2 of this letter, Peter held Jesus up as our example to follow. You can see that in in chapter 2, verse 20, uh, 20 and 21. Uh, And what do we discover of Jesus? He yielded to those who put him on a cross, the next verses tell us. And so Peter told us to submit to rulers and authorities and masters, even to submit to those who are harsh, even to those who are giving us a beating just because we're Christian. Living that kind of submissive life reflects the life that Jesus Christ himself lived see the danger of enculturation we become like the world of infuriation we fight against the world and the third danger is intimidation we become terrified of the world that was billy fully involved in the life of the church but never involved in evangelism because he got a hard time when he did it is so hard to live in a world where we suffer for being christian there's a massive temptation to to withdraw from society, to have very little to do with our community, to batten down the hatches and spend all our time in our little Christian ghettos. Just last week, I've got to hold my hand up, I sent my apologies rather than attend a meeting where I knew it would be hard. I told a friend this week who was at the meeting why I wasn't at the meeting. I explained that I didn't feel that I had the energy to go into battle once again. My friend was very kind on the other end of the telephone. He said, look, I know you're battle-weary, but we've got to keep getting involved. We've got to keep standing up for the truth, even though it's hard. That's what Peter says. Live such good lives among the pagans. We've got to live in and amongst the world. The world needs to see distinctive Christian lives lived out in front of them and then to hear why we live that way. The world needs to hear the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus because that's what people need more than anything. So don't become like the world. Don't constantly fight against the world and don't withdraw from the world. Rather, uh, chapter two, uh, verse uh, 12, live such good lives among the pagans that they will see how we live and in time they'll want to follow Jesus Christ themselves. It's a fine balance. And getting it right and not falling into any one of those dangers is like walking a tightrope. It's difficult, but that's why Peter wrote this letter. It's here to teach us how to stand as Christians in the grace of God in a world where we feel like aliens and strangers. And as Peter sums up for us why he wrote his, let- why he wrote his letter, I'm especially struck by one word in chapter five, verse 12. Do you see it there at the end of verse 12 of chapter five? Peter says, this is the true grace of God stand fast in it as Christians we often talk about grace we've been singing about grace all evening we talk about grace and the grace of God but I wonder what we mean by it and what we think it will look like in our lives and especially when we suffer for being Christian sung about the grace of God what will it actually look like how will it be worked out Well, in this letter, Peter Peter teaches us that the true grace of God is not that God takes us out of suffering, but that he takes us through suffering. The true grace of God is, as I put it on the handout, grace to endure suffering. Now, if you remember nothing else from 1 Peter, remember that. Again and again in this letter, we've seen that the pattern of the Christian life is suffering now and glory later. I put some references on that on the handout. Uh, We've seen it though, haven't we, over and over, both on Sundays and in our small groups. Suffering now in this life until Jesus returns and takes us to be in glory forever with him. Now, you see, it is so helpful to know that that is the pattern of the Christian life. That, incidentally, was the pattern of Jesus' life. uh, Peter shows us that. And we're just following in his footsteps so we will have the same pattern in our life. And it is so helpful to see that. You see, no one had told Marian that that is the normal Christian life. And so when she suffered for being a Christian, when she lost her job just because she'd stood up for Christ, she felt let down by God. She thought God's grace meant that she wouldn't suffer. It's that muddled kind of thinking that Peter uh, that led Peter to write chapter four, verse 12, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Chapter four, verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. See, we are surprised when we suffer because we think that the Christian life is in some way an insurance policy against hardship. It isn't, says Peter. Here in Britain, in, in our recent history, in the last, um, uh, well, several decades, We haven't really suffered for being Christian. So now, now that that is changing, when we do, we're surprised. And because we haven't been used to suffering for our faith, we don't teach new Christians that they will suffer for being Christian. So when suffering comes, we're surprised, chapter four, verse 12, as though something strange were happening to us. And once you think something strange is happening to you when you're suffering for being a Christian, you start to wobble in the Christian life and you begin to ask yourself what have i done wrong to be suffering like this why is why is this happening to me does god love me so it's crucial that we know that the pattern of the christian life is suffering now and glory later the true grace of god is not that god takes us out of suffering but that he takes us through suffering he gives us grace to endure suffering now he does that three ways gives us this grace three ways firstly God's grace comes to us now through the church family. Look with me at chapter four, verse 10. 1 Peter, chapter four, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various form. You see, there it is. There is God's grace in uh, Peter And you see how it comes to us, verse 10? End of verse 10, it comes to us in in its various forms. The word there is multicolored. God's grace comes in multicolored forms. Now, that multicolored word appears only twice in the New Testament, here in chapter 4, verse 10, and the other time, also in this letter, in chapter 1, verse 6. So just flip back with me to chapter 1, verse 6 for a moment. Chapter 1, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All kinds, that's the multicoloured word again. But this time it's multicoloured trials. We'll suffer for our faith in Christ in many different ways, in multicoloured ways. Now, if you put these two verses together, and what we learn is brilliant. Our multicoloured trials, chapter 1, verse 6, the struggles of life... Are met by God's multicolored grace, chapter 4, verse 10. Every time there's a trial, all these different kinds of trials, there is grace to match it. Isn't that wonderful? God's grace coming and meeting us. But as we turn back to chapter 4, verse 10, and we, we read about this multicolored grace, it is amazing where it comes from. Chapter 4, verse 10 each one should use whatever gift. So chapter four, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Do you see God's grace comes to us as we all use the gifts that God has given us? So you have a hard time for being a Christian at school or, or at university or at work or wherever you are. And you go to your small group and as the Bible study study leader teaches the Bible, what is said there really touches you. God's grace coming to you. And over coffee, another Christian in your small group says something to you because they've got this gift of encouragement and you feel encouraged to keep going. God's grace coming to you. And you get an invitation from a member of your small group to lunch at the weekend. And when you go round for lunch at the weekend, you end up hanging out with them and their family all day long and you have the most wonderful day with them. And at the end of it, you think, I can face Monday morning again. God's grace coming to you through this gift of hospitality. I think of a Christian mum with a young family struggling through life. And as if every day isn't hard enough, she goes to the school gate and she gets a hard time from the other mums just because she's a Christian. And it feels like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then out of the blue, that very day, uh, one of the older Christian ladies in the church family turns up with a delicious hot meal for the whole family. And then the same happens the next night and the next. God's grace has met her, met the whole family through people using their gifts of service. See, that's how God's grace comes to us in our various trials. That's verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God, whether it's a speaking gift of teaching the Bible or speaking gift of encouragement. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, whether it's um, uh, all sorts of different ways of serving. Uh, Time and again, when I go to meet people who are struggling in life, I've heard that others in the church family have... Gone to them long before I've got there by cooking the meals and, and cleaning for them, cleaning their house for them, uh, 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 driving them to the hospital, doing the ironing. I found in my own situation, I turned up at things, I felt quite low, and somebody said something. They've got this great gift of encouragement. There's a number of people in this congregation who do it. They probably don't even know they do it, and they say something to me, and it lifts me, and I can get going again. is it wonderful? As we use our gifts, as we serve one another, God's grace comes to us. Verse nine, the gift of hospitality, opening our homes so others can be part of our, our family. Students who've, who found it tough uh, to be sharing a flat with unbelievers. I, I know some of you have been so encouraged when the church family have invited you around and you've had a meal and then you've spent time with the family and it's just been enough to keep you going. You see, it all seems quite Unspectacular saying the odd word here, inviting somebody round for a meal, taking somebody to the hospital, cooking them a meal. It is actually supernatural in its impact because it's the way God's grace comes to us. And of course, it's the outworking of Peter's call right through the letter to love one another. Again, I've put the references at the bottom of the, the first page where he says again and again, love one another is wonderfully picked up in our prayers. As we love one another by using the gifts God has given us, so God's grace comes to us. And that's the true grace of God keeping us going through the struggles of life. Not taking us out of the struggles, just giving us what we need through the struggles. Here is why it is so crucial to be part of God's people. And why it is so crucial that we turn up to church in our small group, whether we feel like it or not. See, see if you're down, still turn up. Go along to church or the small group because that's the way you're going to be lifted. And if you're up and you think, I don't need to go because I'm on a high, well, you better go along to encourage other people to lift them. And more importantly than just going to the church meeting or the small group meeting, more importantly, by being around one another, we'll create real and genuine relationships of love and service and be there for each other when we need to be loving, supporting, and serving each other. uh, We administer God's grace in its various forms. That's the true grace of God. God's grace comes to us now through the church family. Secondly, over over the page, God's grace comes to us in the future when Jesus Christ is revealed. Come back with me to chapter one and verse 13. And you'll see the second big way that this word grace is used in Peter's letter. Chapter one, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace, there it is, on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Ben's already pointed us to that verse. It's Advent. We're thinking about the day then when Jesus Christ returns grace will come to us when jesus christ is revealed it's uh, the way peter began his letter to these christians who were suffering do you remember the first thing he said chapter one verse three praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he's given his new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or, fa- or fade kept in heaven for you You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says there, you've got a certain eternal inheritance to come. It's the first thing he writes to these suffering Christians. The guarantee that you'll be with Jesus Christ in the new creation. And so then Peter says, verse six, in this you greatly rejoice that is in this great hope of the future you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials when we think of the grace to come of eternity our suffering now is just for a little while peter says exactly the same in chapter 5 verse 10 you don't need to look it up but he's basically saying eternity puts everything in perspective which is not to say that our present trials don't hurt they do but we can cope with them knowing that they'll end and knowing that there is so much, something so much better to come i hate going to the dentist don't mishear me i don't hate my dentist i work with him tim cudmore is my dentist and i love working with him i can see him he's keeping his head down as many of you know, Tim works one day a week as a dentist and, uh, and the rest of the time he works here. A- and I have to visit him one day a year as my dentist. And I want to acknowledge that what I'm about to say is not Tim's problem, but a problem with me. You see, a number of Tim's patients are members of this church family and Tim has revealed to me that I am the biggest dental wimp in this church family. <laughs> And I tell you that because as Tim scrapes around inside my mouth with those sharp, penetrating, evil-looking implements, and then when he has to drill and drill and continue drilling, and when it's gone on so long, I wonder if he's drilling for oil. (laughs) And all the while, with that high-pitched whining sound, I'm referring to the drill, not to me, with that high-pitched whining sound filling my head with my teeth on edge and my whole body tensing, The way I get through is to close my eyes and to think it'll be over soon. Not because I think I'm going to die in the dentist's chair, you understand. (laughs) But because in the context of a whole year, it's not long. I tell myself, this is one hour of pain per year. And one year consists of 8,760 hours. Did you know that? It's very important when you're in the dentist's chair for an hour to know that. Put in perspective, it's just a little while, even though it's agony at the time what peter is saying here he's not denying it's painful he's saying thinking about eternity whatever we suffer here it's just a little while and what is to come in eternity is so much better anyway and so peter says chapter 1 verse 13 set your hope fully on the grace that is to be given when jesus christ is revealed That's how I'm encouraged to keep going in the Christian life now through all the struggles I have now. That's how I live a distinctively Christian life now. I think about what is to come. I set my hope fully on that. And we saw some weeks back that having been told to set our hope fully on the grace to be revealed, the very next thing Peter says is live a holy life, verses 14 to 16 of chapter 1. Live a life that is distinctively Christian. I can do that if my hope is set fully on the grace to come, do you see? But I won't stand a chance of living a wholeheartedly Christian Christian life if I set my hope on the things of this life. Standing for Christ here means I will miss out on stuff here. And so if I've set my heart on the things of this life, I will never stand firm for Christ. I will cave in. So chapter one, verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. And if you want an example of this, look at our mission partners. We prayed for some of them earlier, but I've been thinking particularly as I've been preparing this week of the Norgate family. Jonathan and Zoe with their children, Max, Poppy and Eli. They left Sheffield for Cambodia about three and a half years ago now and they have been through so much since they left let me tell you they wouldn't have even gone there in the first place and they certainly wouldn't have kept going through it all unless they had their hope set fully on the grace to be given when jesus christ is revealed because they haven't got much now here if they wanted things now here they'd have never gone to cambodia setting our hope fully on the grace to be revealed that's how we live an outstanding christian life Being sure of the grace to come changes the way I live now. It enables me to be wholehearted in giving, in giving up my time, giving up my career, giving up my safety and security, giving up my money, giving up my home and my comforts. Knowing the grace to come liberates me to live for Christ as I should. God's grace comes to us now through the church family. God's grace comes to us in the future when Jesus Christ is revealed, but that changes the way I live now. And thirdly, and really very briefly, God's grace has come to us in the past through Jesus Christ's suffering and death. Look with me at uh, chapter one and verse 10. concerning this salvation the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care there's our word again grace and peter is speaking of the old testament prophets who were looking for the grace to come and if you look at the end of verse 11 you can see they were searching for the the details about christ's sufferings and the glories that were followed this is talking about the old testament prophets looking ahead to jesus death and his resurrection. So for the Old Testament prophets, that grace was future. It was yet to come. For us, it is past. It is the grace that has come. And as we look at that grace, as we look at the cross of Christ, we see just how much God loves us. Look down with me to chapter 1 and verse 18. Peter writes for you know it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake through him you believe in God and who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. This is so important because when we suffer, we can so easily begin to question, God. does God love me? We ask, why me? We wonder if we've done something wrong. We, we might even begin to wonder if God is punishing us. Whenever that happens, look back to the grace that has come in the past in Christ. For at the cross of Christ, we see God's grace. We see God redeeming us, buying us back, not with money, not with gold, but with a far more precious commodity, with the most precious thing in the universe. God the Father redeemed us with the precious blood of his own dear son. That's how much God loves you. And if you're suffering right now and thinking, does God love me? Look at the cross and you say, yes, he does. And if you're even beginning to think, is God punishing me? You can say, no, he's not because he punished Jesus. He can't punish me as well. When you suffer, if you look back to the death of Jesus, all your doubts about God's love are taken away. At the cross, there is no doubt. doubt. God loves me. This then is the true grace of God, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. The true grace of God. Not taking suffering away from me, but giving me everything I need to get through Suffering. Past grace, God's grace has come to us through Jesus' death on the cross. So even as I suffer, I know God loves me. Present grace, God's grace comes to us now as the church family, as we use our gifts and support and encourage and serve one another. And so even as I suffer, God keeps me going through struggles through that present grace. And future grace, God's grace comes to us in the future when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that future hope gives me the motivation to endure suffering now and to live as I should in the present. This, my friends, is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we've sung already and now thought much about your grace. We thank you that you are a God of grace, giving us all of this and we deserve none of it. We thank you for that most remarkable past demonstration of grace at the cross of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you meet us in the most wonderful ways through the church family today. And we thank you for the grace that is to be revealed when we'll get everything. Everything in the new heavens and the new earth where we'll be face to face with you in your presence forever and that will make everything worthwhile. And so we ask you to help us to indeed rejoice in your grace today and knowing the true grace of God to stand fast in it, not only today, but tomorrow. And all the tomorrows you give us, we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.